Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 26 today, so if you want to turn there, Genesis chapter 26, where it's on page 21 in the Pew Bible. Uh, last week, we've been working our way through, <laughs> we've been working our way through Genesis over the period of, I forget what it was, 10 years altogether when we started this. Don't worry, it's not been nonstop. Um, uh, but today in Genesis chapter 26, last week we looked at how Moses led God to wrap up the accounts of Abraham's life and um, Ishmael's lives. Uh, we had an introduction into a little bit uh, Isaac and Rebekah's twin sons, Jacob and Esau. They're going to come up again, but here in chapter 26, God led Moses to take a step back as he was recording things, and he took a step back and uh, begins to look a little bit more about Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, we're going to read this through in like four different sections. I'm going to read a little bit, and then we're going to talk about it, read a little bit, talk about it. So I'd encourage you to keep your Bible open as we go through it. Keep things, you know, it'll help you. Then you can look down to see what we're talking about. But let's pray, and then we're going to get into this chapter here. Father, thank you for the, the way you guide in lives today. And we can see part of how that happens as we look at how you've guided in lives in the past. And as we look at, this, at the, the Scripture now, as we look at the, into your Word, to see how you guided with, um, with, with uh, Isaac and Rebecca, that we would be able to see ourselves that we would be able to see some things that will help us to live more for you while it's a totally different time and we face uh, different challenges in some regards, the specifics of them, but uh, in many regards we face the same challenges they did. So help us to to see what it is and to see how we might better live, more live the life you've intended for us instead of the one that we sometimes foolishly choose. Uh, use your word to transform hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, verse 1 of chapter 26, as we're going through there, it says, There was another famine in the land in addition to the one that had occurred in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerar. Uh, the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land that I tell you about. Stay in this land as a foreigner, and I will be with you and bless you. For I give you all, I give all these lands to you and your offspring, and I will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands, and all these nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring, because Abraham listened to my voice and kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, and my instructions. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Verse 7, when the men of that place asked about his wife, he said, she's my sister. For he was afraid to say my wife, thinking the men of that place would kill me on account of Rebekah, for she's a beautiful woman. When Isaac had been there for some time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from the window and was surprised to see Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. Abimelech sent for Isaac and said, so she's really your wife. How could you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might die on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people could have easily have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech warned all the people with these words, whoever harms this man or his wife will certainly die. 
Let's take a look at these first six verses to start with. We're going to then see how the the, the next uh, six there kind of connect with that. But it tells us here that a famine came. Now, when a famine comes, a popular way for them to deal with the famine would be to travel to a land that didn't have a famine. You know, if the famine was there, the, the lack of food, the lack of resources, it's more than, more than, you know, just that, that inability to have it. It's the inability to produce it. Think of, you know, those of you who have studied history, none of us here lived through the Dust Bowl that was in our country, uh, where things were, were, were pretty stark. They, they didn't have the, ability to produce because the, the water wasn't there to water the land and and so there was a, a huge you know problem with that uh, in our country you know we can still have droughts but we don't have famine anymore because well you ship the stuff in from somewhere else i mean that's that's just how it is for us now there are parts of the world that still experience famine our part really, yeah, I mean, we don't. If, if we're, if we're struggling, if the crops kind of go up in smoke here, we ship it in from somewhere else. If it's a little widespread, more widespread across the country, we bring it in from other countries. That's just one of the opportunities we have. Uh, we don't understand so much about the famine, and a famine was a very desperate time for them because, well, you have to eat and you have to provide for your family. So it was a very desperate time for them because those two things will really drive you you know they will they will drive you if you don't have if you if you don't have things to eat if you can't take care of your family they begin to to push you in certain ways you know the the food supply for them the main way they would get their food supply was off of their own land they you know they kind of they kind of lived a subsistence if you will lifestyle they didn't have, well, they didn't have the means to store things as we do. Uh, they could store some things, but, you know, not necessarily enough to, to make it. Uh, they, you know, whatever they could grow or whatever they could scavenge off the land, this is how they lived. Markets were not very plentiful and they certainly weren't stocked like we have. Uh, they, you know, and even if they did have access to some things in the market, they wouldn't necessarily have the funds funds were not you know money was wasn't very plentiful you know you say well that we can identify with well yes and no i mean some people had no money there was no for some of them you know it just wasn't a possibility it wasn't they didn't they lived an an agrarian lifestyle where they would they would do barter they would trade and things and money really wasn't it wasn't as plentiful you know, so when food would become scarce, supply and demand then, even as now, would drive prices up. Well, if you don't have money to begin with, it doesn't matter what the price is, but even if you did have some money, it would very soon get out of reach for you to be able to do anything with it. You know, so the majority of the people, when a famine comes, they're in trouble. Isaac begins to travel, and it says he traveled, you know, and he got, as he was on his way, and he was on his way to Egypt. Otherwise, there's no sense in God telling him, don't go to Egypt. He would have told him, don't go to, you know, Philadelphia, wherever it was that he was headed. He tells him, don't go to Egypt here, so he stops and, you know, he settles in Gerar, it says. Well, you know, God is, God tells him to stay there in that land, and he begins to unfold the same promises that he gave to his father Abraham. 
And you see those in verses 3 and 4. You know, he, he tells Isaac that he would live in this land as a foreigner. He was going to live there as a foreigner, not as, not, you know, it was not going to be his country yet. Because he goes on and he tells, God tells him that he would bless him. We're going to see some of that blessing here as we go on in a little bit. Uh, you know, that, that was an important promise, an important promise for Isaac to remember that God would be with him and that God would bless him. And then he went on and he said that he would give the land to Isaac and to his offspring. He was going to live there as a foreigner, but you know, there was going to be a time in which they would no longer be a foreigner. This would be their land. Now, as that promise was given to Abraham, you remember Abraham only had one small patch of ground that he bought a field so that he could bury his wife. That was really the only reason he had any property there was he bought that field uh, to be, be, be able to bury his wife. It wasn't it wasn't given to him by God without cost. It was given to him by God, but he paid, he paid for it. Uh, he, he paid an exorbitant price for it. But still, I would tell you that was given to him by God just because he had to pay cash for it. Again, we sometimes think it's only by God if we get a good deal. That's not biblical. That's, that's in our minds. We have to get a good deal. Otherwise, it's not from God. Uh, God gave him the fact that, you know, that he had this plot of ground, but that was it. He had, you know, he just had this one, one small plot of ground to be able, able to pass on to Isaac. It wasn't exactly inhabiting the land yet. And then Isaac was Abraham's only offspring. It, 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 there certainly didn't seem to be that promised family line was not in place yet that was there. And then God promises Isaac's offspring, and notice what it says, would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Well, Isaac looks around. Okay, he had a 100% increase on his dad. You know, his dad had one kid in the, in the family line, and that was Isaac. Isaac has, has two. He has twin sons, you know. So the 100% increase, and you say, well, that's really something, 100%. But the 100% increase, now there's only two of them there, those offspring, and he goes on and he tells him another part of the promise that all nations on earth would be blessed by Abraham and now Isaac's offspring. Well, we actually just celebrated the culmination of that in communion, you know, that all nations be blessed. But right now, Isaac had to get through the famine. You see, he faced a struggle we still face today. And, you know, that's a fact that, you know, very often the present needs take our attention from God's word. The present needs take our attention from his word and from future blessing. And we're consumed with the present needs because the present needs weigh heavily on our choices. It have very heavily influences our choices, you know, and what we see as our present need. Now, we have to be on our guard so we don't overlook God and his word during those times of need and even during those times of want and desire. That's really what we struggle with more. We struggle more with those times of want and desire and these things we want. Yesterday, Jenny and I uh, were going to a wedding and um, so I went to the closet and I pulled out this pair of black pants. And as I took them off the hanger, I noticed there was a line across them here. It was the dust that had settled on the top of these pants as they were hanging on the hanger in the closet. And I said to Jenny, 
I said, you know, you haven't worn your pants a little, you know, you haven't worn a pair of pants in a while, and, you know, you got dust settled on them, you know. And, and you see, we have an abundance of things. We have an abundance of things. I was telling her, you know, also I said, you know, uh, WBCL is doing this. You can win a $400 shopping spree at Von Mar. And I said, if I win this, it's going to be a miracle, and I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be a miracle because I didn't enter the contest. Um, and and really, I don't need any more. I don't. I don't need any more clothes. But you see, here's the thing. Then, if we see something that we that we want or desire and like, even though we may not need it, it begins to push us. Just just as the needs sometimes begin to push us. You know, but. There's going to be some interesting stuff revealed, you know, about the needs here, you know, for us as, as we continue to look at, at what uh, Isaac was struggling with now. Um, you know, as, as we look at this, uh, see, faith, chooses, faith chooses to obey God over circumstance. Whether, whether it's a need, whether it's a want or desire, faith chooses to obey God over that circumstance. You know, we follow God's word, we follow God's leading, we follow God's direction. As I was working on this, I was thinking, you know, back in, it was 1978, 79, I was trying to figure out exactly when it had to be one of those years. God challenged me to go, uh, to consider going to Bible college. We were, you know, he did it through the pastor and the elders of our church. At that point, at that point in time, you know, it was something I, I didn't, I just didn't think could ever happen. It just couldn't happen. Uh, we were married. We had two kids. Uh, you know, we, we had, uh, you know, two cars and the house and everything that goes along with having all of this stuff. And, and I had a good job. I, you know, I, I had a good job. I liked the job. I was, I was making really good money and, uh, you know, things were going well. It didn't make much sense to interrupt any of that to me. Uh, so I just didn't see this really happening. Um, you know, Jenny was able to stay home with our girls and, uh, you know, and I just kind of liked that. I just didn't see how it was going to happen. So, but I began the process, you know, at the urging of our pastor and our elders. I thought, well, okay, you know, we'll, we'll see. And, and God kept opening doors. Uh, so, you know, one of the things, I had to go take the ACT test, you know, the, you know for going and get, being able to the entrance exam for college at that point. Um, I had been out of, I have been out of high school for eight years. I really blew off the last two years of high school. I, you know, I knew I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to go to college. I, at that point, I was going to go to, I was going to go to school. I was going to go to Denver Automotive uh, to to be an auto mechanic. I had taken vocational auto shop and stuff, and I kind of liked it, and so that's what I was going to do. Um, you know, and I didn't need to have all this other stuff to be an auto mechanic. So I just kind of blew off the last two years of. You know, the last two years of high school turned out I was never an auto mechanic. Um, you know, God directed, now I can tell you, God directed that in other ways, you know, but I was doing the millwright work still, you know, and welding, still building things, taking things apart. But I kind of liked that, you know, it was a good thing. I just didn't see how it was going to be possible for me to leave that, uh, you know, not only what I was doing, but I had responsibilities. It wasn't just me anymore. You know, it was Ginny and it was the girls at that point, uh, and I, I had to be able to provide for them. Well, 
I go to take this ACT test, and I'm in this room now with a bunch of high school, and no offense to those of you who are in high school now, you know, we love you and all that stuff, but if you had an old guy at that point, you know, who was in there, you got this old guy in there, um, you know, and I, I kind of felt like perhaps I was the only one taking it seriously, and uh, because I, and they're asking these questions like, I don't know. I don't know what this is. I'm not sure I knew it when I was in high school. You know, and it was interesting because when I was in high school, uh, I did real well in math. It was just one of those things that worked well for me. I got A's and B's in math, and I, I, I never studied. I never did the homework. It's just, it just worked for me. And I got really lousy grades in English. I got a D if I worked hard in English. And isn't it odd that I make my living now using the English language? Um, so I took this test. My lowest score was math. My highest score was English. It's like, you're kidding me, God. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like, so anyway, I, you know, I take this test and, and okay, so I, I get through it. I was accepted at Moody Bible Institute, which is tuition free. See, one of my arguments of why I couldn't go to school is because I didn't have the money. Uh, Moody Bible Institute is tuition free, and so I was, you know, I was able to go there. Well, then uh, my company at that time that I was working for offered me a part-time job, and they said, "We will keep you on part-time while you're in school. We'll keep you on part-time. We'll pay you the same hourly wage you're making for full-time." I was making good money for full-time. It would have been insane money for part-time, you know. Uh, and so all of these, all of these blocks were there. You know, were, were, were removed. All of these things that I saw as blockages began to be removed. So we began to make an effort, you know, then to, okay, looks like I might be going to school. Uh, we, one of the things we did is we sold both of our cars, got one we could pay for. If you have a car loan, I'd encourage you to uh, get rid of it. It's just a thought for you here. Um, you know, but anyway, that's a different sermon. Uh, you know, so we, we sold both cars. We got one that was paid for and things. Now it was, you know, certainly not the same vehicle that we had, but it was, it was paid for. And we began to make this transition to go to school. I was going to have a part-time job. Everything would be fine. One week before I was to leave full-time and go to part-time work, my bosses came up to me. They said, Pat, um, we know we told you that you could have a, you know, you could stay on part time, uh, if you want to, but you know, you know, business is kind of slowed down and, um, we won't be able to keep you on part time. Now you can stay on full time if you, if you want to, you can stay full time, you know, not, not go to school. You'll always have a job. I find it interesting because they told me you'll always have a job. That company's out of business now. But anyway, um, you know, they, they uh, always is, is a real strange thing sometimes. But, uh, you know, so one week before, well, by that point, we're talking, this is a process of, of a couple of years because this was, you know, we're now, you know, into, into August of 1980 and I followed God. I had a choice to make and I chose to follow God out the door of Enterprise Tool and Die and uh, out of my job into full-time, being a full-time student and unemployed. Um, you know, still with the wife, two kids, and the bills of living. Now, God took care of us uh, with that, you know, and, and it, was, it was a really great thing. But, you know, the point there is faith obeys God over circumstance. 
circumstance said, don't quit, dummy. Some people said that too. Um, yeah, it was, it was funny because it was just in the last five years or so, we were talking with one of Jenny's cousins. He's our, you know, he, he's our age and she, he was telling us, yeah, when you quit your job, my dad said, what's he doing? <laughs> you know, what's he doing? He's got, you know, Jenny, you know, they, and they watched over Jenny, you know, uh, you know, he's got Jenny and the girls through. What is, what is he thinking? You know, and well, what I was thinking is I had to follow God. I mean, and, 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 and that's, you know, faith obeys God over circumstance. So here Isaac settles into Gerar instead of going to Egypt. His idea was to go to Egypt. God said, stay here. You stay here in this land. Now, we don't know how much time transpires between verses 6 and 7, but we do know that Isaac promptly forgot about obeying God in faith because you notice there that he lies about his wife, the same sin his father Abraham had committed more than once. Isaac says, you know, she's my wife because he, he's, he's afraid, and he says, you know, this isn't my wife, this is my sister. Now, here's the point, you know, what I was talking about a little earlier. Isaac, he makes a choice here based on perceived circumstances, which so often push us. It's not always the circumstance that is right there. It's the perceived circumstance of what we think is going to happen, of how we think things are going to go, of those things we think we have to have and need. And those begin to push us and direct us. And, and you know, we begin to, we begin to obey those instead of, instead of walking in faith behind God. And here he makes a choice based on those perceived circumstances. Rather than obeying God, he perceives that they're going to kill him, you know, because Rebecca's a beautiful woman. There'd be a lot of widows in the world if men got killed just because their wives were beautiful. What a crime. I mean, just think about it. Anyway, uh, you know, but, but, you know, it's those perceived circumstances. Uh, you know, he, he chooses, instead of obeying God in faith, he chooses faith in his fears instead of faith in God. Instead of faithfulness to God's word, he chooses faith in his fears. Fear mocks faith. Fear mocks faith as foolishness. As why would you ever do something like that? You see, when we're afraid, when you are afraid, you need to pay closer attention to choosing to follow God in faith. When you are afraid, you need to pay closer attention to obeying his word that is right there before you. When you are afraid, you need to pay closer attention not to follow your fears. One of the trips that Ginny and I did to the Boundary Waters, you know, we used to take those trips and, and bring some of her students and students from uh, her school district, and we used to bring them up to the Boundary Waters. The Boundary Waters are this series of lakes, northern Minnesota, southern Canada. It's just a whole series of lakes, and you go through there, and there's no signs. You know, you, you get a canoe, you put your stuff in a backpack, and you flop the canoe down in the... In, in a lake and you paddle across that lake you get out and you walk across there's no sign you know no 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 directions and stuff and they give you this <laughs> they give you this map which says right on it not to be used for navigational purposes <laughs> what what oh just follow the map but can you see these words 
Well, anyway, so we're on this, we're, we're, we're taking this, on the, the, the trip, and we've been in the wilderness there for, uh, for a few days at this point, and we get on this one lake, and I, I've never been in this part of the, the, the boundary waters before, and I am all turned around. And we're paddling across this lake, and I'm looking at the lake, and I'm looking at the map, and I thought, this is what they mean. Don't use for navigate, and I'm, and I, you know, and I'm coasting, and Jenny said, what's wrong? I said, this, I'm not sure we're on the right lake. That's something you never want to do up there. You travel three days and you take a portage, you know, and you end up on the wrong light. You just don't want to do that. Because that's then when they mount the search party and they get the planes and everybody. We gotta go find a dummy, you know, and his, and his friends. So anyway, I, you know, I'm on this lake and I just, it was, I was just so turned around. And I'm looking at the map and nothing seems to match to me. I get out the compass. And I laid a compass down. Nobody ever taught me how to use a compass. So anyway, you just kind of figure out, you know, and you get to pointing north. And I'm hoping it really was because that didn't seem like north to me. Uh, and and you, you orient the map and stuff. And so now I had a choice to make. It didn't feel right to go the way that this map told me. It didn't feel right. I went the way the map said. And after a while, then it became clear, it's, uh, and then it was like, oh, okay, okay, now I see. You see, sometimes when we're afraid, we, we can look at the Word of God and we think, it doesn't seem right. I can't do this, it just, it just doesn't seem right. Faith chooses to obey God over circumstance and over feelings. You obey God. When Isaac chose to follow his fear instead of following God, he sinned by lying about his wife. He gets called on the carpet by the king. You know, kind of interesting, the ungodly king exhibits better morals than, than Isaac here, who would receive the promise of God. Verse 3, I will be with you and bless you. Faith believes God will keep his word. So faith chooses to obey God. Pick up with me, verse 12. Isaac sowed seed in that land, and that year reaped a hundred times what was sown. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and kept getting richer until he was very wealthy. That's what we want. Verse 14. He had flocks of sheep, herds of cattle, many slaves, and the Philistines were envious of him. The Philistines stopped up all the wells that his father's slaves had dug in the days of his father Abraham, filling them with dirt. And Abimelech said to Isaac, leave us. For you're much too powerful for us. Verse 17, so Isaac left there, camped in the valley of Gerar, and lived there. Isaac reopened the water wells that had been dug up in the days of his father Abraham and that the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. He gave them the same names that his father had given them. Then Isaac's slaves dug in the valley and found a well of spring water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water's ours. So he named the well Quarrel because they had quarreled with him. Then they dug up another well and quarreled over that one also, so he named it Hostility. He moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, and he named it Open Spaces and said, For now the Lord has spoken, excuse me, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. You see, God was true to his word. Isaac became very wealthy, a very powerful man. But notice, God did not just hand Isaac the wealth. 
He didn't just hand it to him. Isaac had to participate. Isaac had to put forth some effort. Because you see, faith is a participatory relationship with God. It's not something where you just sit back and, and think that God's going to hand you everything. It's where you participate. You know, we, we don't just say we have faith and sit back. You act in faith. You live, you act on faith, in faith and on faith. And this is what he's called us to. Now there's two choices in this section of verses that that helps us see the impact that faith has on our choices uh, the first one you know faith chooses to live to work if you will based on god's direction here again meaning all that god tells us we participate by choosing to live based on what god tells us god told isaac to stay in the land so isaac took action based on what god told him He's going to stay in the land. He planted crops. Why? Because he knew he was going to stay in the land. He made that choice. God said, stay here. There's a famine. Stay here. There's a famine. Plant See, There's a famine. But, and he stayed and, and did and participated in what God told him to. Isaac did what he was able to do. Isaac planted the seed. God did what Isaac couldn't produce the crop. Isaac couldn't produce the crop. God did. And notice it says an abundant harvest. After Isaac put forth his effort, God produced this abundant harvest. Now the response, uh, you know, to the people, the, the response of the of the people there to God's blessing on Isaac was fear. The same thing Isaac was acting on before. Fear again enters the picture, and they let their fear lead them, so they plug up the wells, it says, so Isaac wouldn't have the water that he needed for his family, for his herds, for his crops. You know, and after a while they just flat out asked him to leave. Isaac, leave. You know, we're you know, we're afraid of you leave. You know, just just get out of here. So Isaac left. It says he traveled. The the spot they talk about in the valley there is about ten miles. Still in the land God told him to be in but he's about 10 miles further when when isaac and his men he has his men open up some of the wells that were plugged up notice the people objected and they said that water's ours you know that's ours uh, when isaac then had his men dig other wells the people again claimed them and they said this is ours so isaac goes on he has more wells dug finally there's no complaints I was looking at this and I was thinking, what does this teach us about faith? Well, to, as I was looking at this, see, faith chooses to obey God rather than argue. Did you notice here, Isaac did not battle these guys. They unstopped the wells. They said, it's ours. Isaac didn't argue with them. It was the well Isaac's father dug, you know, and it would be Isaac's well. He didn't argue with them. He simply looked for another and then yet another well. He chose not to confront those who opposed him. He simply looked for another way to still obey God. He didn't have to argue with these guys. It meant more work for him. You see, opposition doesn't mean that we have to battle. Too many people do not realize this today, particularly in politics. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter. You see, when there's opposition, what do they do? They battle. They choose to battle. When one says something, the other says the other thing. And it doesn't really matter. You know, it, it, it's, they, they just, they, what do they want to do? They choose to battle. They choose to battle before they even understand the arguments. You know, but here, you know, there's the argument. And, and, and you know, he chooses, he chooses not to battle. You see, I won't argue with people. 
If they want to discuss, I'm happy to discuss things. Particularly about God. I will not argue with people about God. I just, I choose not to argue with people. If they want to discuss things, I'm happy to discuss things, you know, and, and I'll do that. You see, because being in an argument, when I'm in an argument, I'm more interested in being right than I am in the other person's heart. God wants me to be more interested in their heart than in proving that I'm right. I'm not interested in arguing. You can obey God and stand for God without arguing. Do you know that? Do you understand that? You can obey God without arguing. You can stand for God without arguing. Isaac simply looked for another way to still obey God. Choose, choose to obey God without arguing. Choose to, you know, to stand for God without arguing. Abraham, he doesn't confront those guys. He looks for another way to still obey God. Faith chooses to obey God rather than looking for an argument. Pick up with me, verse 23. From there, he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there, called on the name of Yahweh, and pitched his tent there. Isaac's slaves also dug a well there. Just real quickly, you, know, you see here, you know, Isaac doesn't yet possess the land, but it, it's very interesting. He, he plants another altar. He makes another altar. You know, we mentioned before, these, before they even own the land, they have altars. God has them plant altars. And there's altars scattered all over this land where they, an altar representing a place where they encountered God, where they met God, where they knew God was there in this land that they were one day going to possess. And God here reassures Isaac. He says, I'm God. Do not be afraid. Fear had pushed him. Fear had pushed, had, had, had pushed the people of the land. He says, do not be afraid. You see, faith looks for God and chooses to worship God anywhere, everywhere, really. Isaac builds the altar. What's he doing? He chooses to make God popular. Isaac worships God here among people who didn't know God. Isaac worships God here among people who worshiped idols. He worships God among those who worshiped false gods. Let's pick up again. Uh, last section, verse 26. Now Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath and the, the advi- his advisor and Philcol, the uh, commander of the army. Isaac said to them, why have you come to me? You hated me and sent me away from you. They replied, we have clearly seen how the Lord has been with you. We think there should be an oath between the two parties, between us and you. Let us make a covenant with you. You will not harm us. We have not, just as we have not harmed you, but have only done what was good for you, you know, sending you away in peace. Uh, You're now blessed by the Lord. So he prepared a banquet for them, and they ate and drank. They got up early in the morning, swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they left him in peace. On that same day, Isaac's slaves came to tell him about the well that they had dug, saying to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Now, I find it interesting that they saw Isaac's connection to God here, even though Isaac lied to them about Rebekah. And did you notice when he had talked about, when he had talked about uh, Abraham, how Abraham had obeyed 
how Abraham had obeyed God, you know, and, and we were looking and we saw where Abraham, you know, he struggled with that. Uh, you know, but in verse five, it says, Abraham listened to my voice, kept my mandate, my commandments, my statutes, my instruction. You know, to them, that was the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God. And Abraham kept that. We, in spite of that, you see, the overwhelming majority of Abraham's life was pointed toward following God. And it must have been the same for Isaac here. Even though we see the sin there, as he, as he lied about Rebecca being his wife, we see the sin they were seeing, well, they were seeing someone choosing to follow God. And that's what faith does. Faith chooses to be clear about God. They saw Isaac's connection to God, even though Isaac had lied to them. Now, this isn't giving us the excuse to lie. What it's saying, you know, is there's an overwhelming evidence that he was following God. He gets kicked out of the land, kicked out of where he settled down. The king who tossed him out now comes and wants to make peace. The king doesn't exactly get the facts right. He says, it was a good, you know, we did this for your benefit. No, they did that because they were afraid. But God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And they can mean it for harm, but God meant it for good. You know, and, and uh, faith also chooses not to retaliate. Not to retaliate. Isaac didn't tell the king that he had the facts wrong. Isaac didn't argue with him. He simply responded to the king's effort at the time. God calls us, tells us to forgive others, to love others. You can't do that. You cannot do that. You cannot obey God if you're looking to get even. Isaac wasn't looking to get even. He was looking to obey God. He was looking to live by faith. I was looking at all of these insights as I was putting this together, and I started to think, what connects this? What connects all of these statements on faith and my choices? What connects them? How can we make sense of all of these today? Here's what I saw. Choose, you know, faith chooses to follow God. Always. Not all, not always perfectly, but consistently. Not always, you know, it's not always easy, but it's always important and it's always best to follow God. Choose to follow God rather than let circumstances direct you. Choose to follow God rather than argue. Choose to follow God rather than putting up with what's going on around and choose to worship him anywhere. Choose to follow God and to be clear about him. You know, choose to follow God and not to retaliate. Choose to follow God when you are afraid. If you find that you have messed up, you know, and found that you followed fear, found that you followed your own ideas, that, you know, that you changed direction, you know, and walked away from it, change direction and walk back to God. Change direction and follow God. Let's pray.